Today we're finishing up our study that we've been calling Experiencing God uh, with experiencing the voice of God. How to hear the Lord speak to us in our lives. Now there are three guiding principles that I bring to what we're talking about today with hearing God. The first is that God still speaks today. One of the most common themes in Scripture is that God does indeed speak. The Old Testament is filled with references uh, that say some variation of, and God said. The prophets spoke with authority, and that authority came not because they were great, but because they said what God wanted them to say. Uh, They started all of their authoritative sermons with, thus says the Lord. That same pattern continues in the New Testament. First, we see God speaking in the person of Jesus Christ. Then in the gospel or then the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit speaking to people. And then finally, we do see the apostles writing down scripture, communicating that what they are saying to us, these are indeed the very words of God. So I believe and am convinced that God still speaks today. The second guiding principle I have in this is that we can hear and know his voice. Jesus said, his sheep hear his voice. That's an important passage in John chapter 10. The picture is both of knowing the sound of his voice and understanding the words that he's speaking. So we hear and we understand and we know who it is that is speaking and what it is that he is saying to us. So when Jesus speaks, we'll know whether it's Jesus speaking words of comfort to us in times of affliction. We'll know if it's Jesus speaking words of encouragement in times of discouragement. We'll know if it's Jesus speaking words of strength in times of weakness. And we'll know if it's Jesus speaking words of correction in times of rebellion. We will always know what he's saying and what he intends. Now, one aspect of what Jesus said that I think is so very important is who Jesus said Here's his voice. He said, my sheep. He didn't say my apostles. He didn't say my prophets. And he didn't say my pastors or my evangelists or my missionaries or my superhero saints. My sheep. If you can say with David today that the Lord is your shepherd. then my friend, you can hear his voice. You can know what he is saying and you can respond in ways that demonstrate that he is Lord. It is possible and it should be inspected, expected that God will speak and you will know what he is saying to you. And the final guiding principle I have in this is that we all want to hear God speak. I mean, we we want to hear God speak to us since God speaks. We as his people, we desire to hear him. We want to know what he has to say for us. We want to know what he wants us to do. We want the kind of relationship that is built upon his talking to us and our talking to him. So with these three foundational principles in place today, what I want to do is I want to answer three questions. The first is, how does God speak? The second is, how can I be sure it's God speaking? And then the third How can I position myself to hear God speak? So let's dive into these questions. Number one, how does God speak? We have to be able to answer this if we're going to hear God speak. Now, when you look at Scripture, you find God speaks in a variety of ways. Sometimes God spoke in really what you'd call spectacular ways. But he spoke through a burning bush. He spoke through thunder and lightning on a mountain. He spoke often through angels. He spoke through a pillar of fire. He even spoke through a donkey one time. Now, as I read those, I'm often glad that God doesn't often speak in spectacular ways. Because those things, everybody in Scripture, I just always think about this. Those people handled that stuff way better than I think I would have. If my animal starts talking... I'm probably going to put it down before I realize what's going on. I'm not going to think, oh, gee, God's talking to me through our dog. I'm going to think it's possessed, right? I mean, they all handled that stuff really well. So I'm glad that God doesn't necessarily speak in those ways, but typically he speaks in what I would call ordinary ways. 
Now, these aren't any less significant or any less important or any less real. They're just not the sort of thunder and lightning kind of ways. So the two primary ways that God will speak to us that are the ordinary ways is that God speaks through Scripture. The primary way that God will always speak to us is through Scripture. There will never be a time in our lives as believers where Scripture is unimportant. Where we have found something more and better that we need. Scripture is always the foundation to everything that God is going to say and expect of us in our lives. And one of my very favorite descriptions of Scripture is given in the book of Hebrews and explains why it's important for our hearing God. It says, for the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Piercing even the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Just a few things I want to point out about that familiar passage. First, notice that he first says that it is the word of God. But he doesn't call it the word of man, the word of prophets. The ideas or opinions of another. What the author says is God's word. When we look at this book and we read these words. These are the very words of God. What does God think about an issue? Whatever this book says about the issue is what God thinks about that issue. Is this a sin? If this book says it's a sin, then yes, God says it's a sin. Is it right to do this? If this book says it's right to do this, then yes, it's right to do this. This is the word of God. And we'll talk in a minute about everything always has to come back and be questioned to this. So no matter what we do, no matter what we read, everything has to come back to this. What does the Bible say? Because what the Bible says... It's what God says. So every time we get into this book, whether through our personal study, through listening to teaching, listening to preaching, we are hearing God speak to us through His Word. Now, since the Bible is the Word of God, there are several implications of this. One is that it is living and powerful. So it's still relevant to us in our lives today. It speaks to us. About the issues in our lives. Uh, if people, anybody that says the Bible is just because it's old, it's not relevant today. In my mind, I think they don't read the Bible very well. Because the Bible speaks to, to all of the issues of life. Why are there troubles and hardships? The Bible answers that. Why is the world so broken? The Bible answers that. Why do people do such awful things? Bible answers that. How can I be free of the guilt that I feel? The Bible answers that. What happens when we die? The Bible answers that. On and on and on the Bible goes, giving us God's answers to today's questions. It is living and active and speaks just as authoritative to us today as it did to those who originally read the author's. He says that it's sharper than a two-edged sword that cuts and divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The picture is that the sharp sword of Scripture, it cuts deep into our innermost thoughts and desires, and it it reveals us for who we are. But Scripture doesn't just deal with actions in our life. Scripture deals with what's behind those actions. Why do you do the things that you do? Scripture tells us that. Scripture doesn't just deal with us about the words that we say. Why do we speak the way that we speak? Scripture tells us that. Scripture is living and active, and so it can hit on our our attitudes. It can hit on our motivations. If we do the right thing with the wrong motive or the wrong attitude, Scripture will deal with us about that. Not just these outward things that are going on. Scripture challenges us, instructs us on our values, our priorities, 
our attitudes, our actions, and our reactions, our motives, the things that we think but don't say. Scripture is sharp and active and can deal with any of those things. How can a book, just a book, do that? Well, because there is no creature hidden from his sight. And all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Scripture is living and active because our God is living and active. And our God sees our actions and our attitudes. He knows the words we think but don't say, the, the motives behind the things that we do. And He is able to take His Word and speak to us specifically about issues in our life. If you have read the Bible very long in your life, you have had times where just something jumped off the page and dealt with you so specifically about issues in your life. Maybe it comforted you in a trouble. Or it convicted you about an attitude. Or it revealed a wrong belief. And you were just like, man, how did I, I never knew that. Oh God, forgive me. Oh God, change me. Scripture did that because God was speaking through it. I remember early in my Christian life, at times hearing preaching that spoke so specifically to me. I, I often sort of joked with the pastor about being a stalker. Right? Because he spoke to issues in my life so specifically that it was like he saw me doing those things. Or I had poured out my soul to him about what was going on. But it wasn't that. It was the fact that I serve a living God who sees all and knows all. And is able to take his word and cut us right where we need to be cut. To strengthen us right where we need to be strengthened. To challenge us right where we need To be strengthened. God's word speaks to us. Every time we're in it. God speaks to us. Every time we open up his word. He speaks to us when we study it on our own. He speaks to us when we listen to teaching. He speaks to us when we listen to to preaching. Every time. We are where Scripture is going to be opened, whether it's our personal study or we're at a Sunday school class or a church service. There should be an attitude of expectation. God is going to speak to me in this time. I will hear His voice. I will know that it's Him. And we should want that. We should want to leave knowing that our God is at work in our lives. And He has spoken to me about something in my life. Whether He encouraged me, or challenged me, or convicted me, or corrected me. My God spoke to me in that time. If you want to hear God, you've got to be in the Word. second way that God speaks is through the Holy Spirit. There are times... When God places ideas in our minds through the Holy Spirit, maybe he'll give us an impression about something that we're supposed to do or something we're supposed to say or something he wants to change in our lives. At other times, he'll speak in what I guess you could call the internal audible voice. And what I mean by that is you don't hear it with your ears, but you heard the words nonetheless of something that spoke to you in your in your mind. Not just an impression or an idea, but The very words that you needed in that particular moment. That's God speaking to us through the Holy Spirit. We see this all throughout Scripture, particularly in the book of Acts. The Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. Now, I didn't look at the rest of the story because I don't want us to get caught up on how the Spirit, what the Spirit was leading Philip to do. I just want us to see that the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip about something he was supposed to do. What? God did then through the Holy Spirit, God does to us today. Now, it's easy and it's fairly common, particularly in Baptist circles, to say, well, God doesn't do that anymore. But let me ask, why do we assume, why do we conclude? Why do we conclude God doesn't speak through the Holy Spirit like this anymore? Is it because there is a Bible verse that says, and on this date, The Holy Spirit will never, ever speak again. No. 
Is it because something the Bible tells us leads us to conclude there would be a day when the Holy Spirit no longer spoke like he did to Philip there? No. No, there's not. In fact, the biblical revelation consistently tells us that God speaks to individuals through the Holy Spirit. And he tells them things he wants, to say, wants them to say, things he wants them to do, things he wants them to change in their lives. I mean, you even look at like Galatians 5, right, to walk in the Spirit. How do you walk in the Spirit without Him speaking and leading and guiding you in your life? Right, there is, to keep in step with the Spirit, there is the assumption that I know where He's leading me. I know what He wants me to do, right? So that's a, that is a, a consistent part of biblical revelation. The Holy Spirit will speak to us, that God will speak through the Holy Spirit. I think there are two primary reasons that we conclude God doesn't do this anymore. The first is that it's never happened to us in a way that we recognized it. In a way that we understood and we recognized that was God's voice through his Holy Spirit. And since we haven't experienced it, it must not really happen. In fact, I have a book written by a a theologian that I have great respect for. And he talks about something along these lines, and his conclusion is it doesn't happen. And the reason, the main reason, is because it never happened to him. He never experienced it, therefore it must not be true. The second reason that I think we often dismiss this so quickly is because the idea makes us uncomfortable. Because, I mean, we don't want to be like them, do we? If you're a Baptist, you know who they are. You know what I'm talking about. We've seen them on YouTube, on TV. Certain channels you watch and you just think, no, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. That is not God. And we don't want to be like them. In an effort not to be like them, we just say, that that can't be real. There's nothing to any of that. They just made it up. Well, let me ask, though. What determines what's real and from God? Does our experience determine what's real and from God? Or does Scripture determine what's real and from God? Does our comfort, does what I'm comfortable with determine what's real and from God? Or does Scripture determine what's real and from God? When we begin to say, I've never experienced it. It can't be real. What we're saying is my experience is the ultimate authority for truth and rightness. When we say that makes me uncomfortable, the thought of that happening, so it can't be real. Then what we're saying is my comfort is the standard of truth and rightness. It's what's real and what's right and from God. And yet. Interestingly enough, as as Baptists, we would look at the crazies and we would say, that's not real and that's not right. Because despite the fact it makes them comfortable, despite the fact that's their experience, we would say that's not real and that's not right. Why? Because we look at the Bible and we look at that and we think, well, these two things aren't alike. So we want the Bible to trump their experience and we want the Bible to trump their comfort. But we want our experience and our comfort to trump the Bible. Well, it doesn't work like that. If experience is the standard for me, it's the standard for everybody. If my comfort is the standard for me, then comfort is the standard for everybody. But if the Bible's the standard, then my comfort can't be an issue. If the Bible's the standard, my experience can't be a limiting factor. Right? We, we don't. We don't want to be like the crazies. I, I, I mean, we don't. There are people who abuse this. You've seen them. Right? And, and they come on, and, and typically they don't even have a Bible. Right? I mean, I, I, most of the ones I've seen don't even have Bibles any longer. They just get up and give you a fresh word from the Lord. And often it goes something like this The Lord spoke to me. Somebody out here today, there's a miracle that God wants to perform in your life. And what the Lord says is, If you were to sow a seed of a million dollars into my ministry, he would do that so fast it would spin your head. Whoever you are, brother, send in that money. Obey the voice of the Lord. 
And the miracle of God will fall upon your life. Well, we don't want to go that way. That's, that is the crazy. That is ridiculous. But at the same time, we can't let the fact that some people abuse this push us away from something that is real and right. We can't let an abuse of something cause us to reject something that is from God. But two thoughts I've had about this is that one, where there is a counterfeit, there's usually something real. I mean, there's not a whole lot of counterfeit $3 bills, are there? Why? Because there's no such thing as a real $3 bill. Counterfeiters don't make things that don't exist. They, they counterfeit what's real. So when we see a, a something that's a counterfeit that's supposed to be of God, we can say that probably that is a satanic counterfeit to something that is real and from God. Right? And so we don't want to embrace the counterfeit. But we don't want to reject the real either. So let's not, I mean, there's counterfeit money out there. Anybody going to stop using money? If so, I've got a, I'll have a box up here after service. You can come give me all your money in that case it's counterfeit. You know, we don't do it with anything else. If it's counterfeit, we don't want it. Just because there's a counterfeit doesn't mean there's not a real. The second truth, the, the, the realization I've had with this is I'm not going to miss out on something that's real and from God just because I'm afraid of being like the crazies. Now, again, they bother me. There's a reason I call them the crazies. I think they're crazy. Many of them, I believe, are demon-possessed. I think they are, I mean, they are terrifying to me on a spiritual level sometimes. But I will not let crazy people keep me from something that is from my God. I will not be so afraid of being like that group. That I reject something that is real and from God. Just because there are people who abuse the truth that God speaks through His Holy Spirit does not mean we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. We should never let a counterfeit keep us from what's real. We should never let fear of being like someone keep us from what's real. God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. That is a real thing. Scripture and experience testify to it. I can point to specific instances when God spoke to me about something. He has spoken to me far more than any other time through Scripture. But He has also spoken to me through the Holy Spirit. Sometimes He has said, pray for this person, call them. So when I call them or I check on them, there are problems in their life and they were really burdened. They were really hoping I would call. Man, what a coincidence, right? Or I, I can point you to times when the Holy Spirit, when God spoke through the Holy Spirit through a person. One day here at the church years ago, ten years ago probably, I was so discouraged. I was so down. There was just issues and there was stuff in the church. We had a great financial need and, and there, was, there was nothing. We just didn't have it. It was bad. And I was just sitting at my office basically just crying and feeling sorry for myself. Just overwhelmed by it all. Somebody called me. Didn't go to our church. Never, as far as I know, this lady has never attended a service at our church. But she had a family member who had at one point. And she said, Brother Stacy, could I come talk to you a minute? I said, yeah, sure you can. So she came and talked. She gave me a message, which I'm not going to share. But the very things I was broken about, I was weeping about, she spoke to. Now, how would she know that? How would she know to use words I had actually prayed? How would she know to say things like that when she didn't even know me that well? She only met me like three times. What are the odds that that's a coincidence? And then... She reaches in her purse and she pulls out a wad of cash. And it's the exact amount we needed. The Lord told her to give that amount, she said. What a coincidence, right? No. What an awesome God that speaks and leads people. And will speak to us and will lead us. 
if we listen, if we believe, if we expect it. These, these can't be coincidences. These are evidences that back up Scripture, that go with Scripture. That our God speaks through Scripture, through the Spirit, through people. I have no doubts that God has spoken to me in a variety of ways. God has spoken and God will speak to each and every one of us if we are willing to hear. But that leads to our second question. How can I be sure it's God speaking? Now, Scripture, we know. This is God speaking for sure. But what about when we hit the Holy Spirit, an impression, or what I call the inward audible voice, or someone comes to you and says, I feel the Lord wanted me to speak to you about this. How do we know about those things? Because again, there are abuses. There are excesses. There are random thoughts that go through our head. Right? I mean, every thought that goes through my head, I know that can't be God. So how do we know? How do we filter through and determine what's God, what's not? Well, here's a series of, of questions I'm going to give you. And they can be used as a, as a grid or a filter to sort through what you hear, what you feel, the impressions of what someone may say to you. And if something fails to pass through this grid, you can say pretty confidently, that wasn't God. But if it fits within the grid, it falls in there just right, then you can say, yeah, and this is, this is a God thing. And so the first question, does it square with Scripture? Scripture is the primary way that God is going to speak always. Scripture is also the foundation for everything. So since the Scripture is God's Word, it's going to make sense to us that God is never going to contradict His Word, Right? God isn't going to say yes today and no tomorrow. His word always stands. There's a lot we could talk about with this, but I want to give you a great example, a great passage that shows this. And I don't know if you can see it. I put them both on the same screen. I don't hope you can read it. But Peter talks about this. Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 16-18, that we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. So let me stop there. Peter's first point. We told you about Jesus. It wasn't just a cool story. We weren't making it up. Right? We, and he says, we didn't hear it from anybody else. We were eyewitnesses. I saw Jesus. I was there from the start of his ministry to the ascension into heaven. I saw it all. Right? So I'm an eyewitness. And for when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice that was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son and with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter now says on the day on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was transformed and his clothes became really bright and we heard God speak and say, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Peter said, I was there. I saw the change come over him. I saw Moses and Elijah beside him. I heard the voice and recognized the words. Right? So Peter, man, he's got something powerful going on to say what I'm writing to you, what I'm saying to you. Man, it's real. It's true. It's right. Because I was there. I saw it. I heard it. I experienced it. That's a powerful testimony about the reality of Christ. And the message of Christ that Peter and the other apostles had passed on. And yet, look at what Peter goes on to say. And we have something more sure. The prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention. As to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter, his first part is, I saw it all. I was there. I heard it. I saw it. I experienced it. But there's something even more reliable 
than my eyewitness testimony. The prophetic word. Scripture. You would do well to heed it, he says, until Christ returns. Why? Because Scripture didn't come by the will of man, but by the will of God. Holy men of God spoke as the Holy Spirit carried them along. Peter is emphasizing the authority of Scripture. Peter heard a voice from heaven, but he said, I have something even more sure than the voice I heard. I have the word. I have Scripture. If we were to hear a thundering voice from heaven say something to us, we would have to check it against Scripture to see if it was real. And if a voice thundered from heaven and what it thundered contradicted Scripture, we could say, no matter the experience, no matter how awesome it seemed, that is not God. You take that on down. A thought that comes into my mind that contradicts Scripture. That is not God. A person bringing you a word from the Lord that contradicts Scripture. That is not God. A word from the Lord. The words from the Lord. The message from God. Will never contradict the word of God. That's where it all has to start. If it contradicts Scripture. We can just toss it away. There is no way that's God. So does it square with Scripture? Secondly, does it convict or condemn me? I wrestled with putting this in there. It goes, but it's really long. It's a really long point. But it's really important, I think. Because sometimes what we think might be a voice of the Lord, it it leaves us feeling condemned, miserable, wretched, blind, poor. I know for me, I can point to a day several months ago, I woke up and I just felt just a strong sense of condemnation. I mean, just I was almost overwhelmed by it. I just felt utterly condemned before the Lord. And it weighed so heavily upon me. I can remember thinking, man, I'm a, I'm a terrible, I'm a terrible Christian for doing. That's when it hit me. There wasn't really anything specific I felt condemned for. What really, and it's not... I'm perfect, so be like me. This was just, on this day, I had been pretty good. And there wasn't really, hadn't blown up and acted crazy at Walmart because somebody had 25 items in the 20 item or less line, right? I, I, I had not, there wasn't anything in my life that I was in rebellion against God. Not, not perfect, of course, but I wasn't in willful rebellion against God. There was nothing there. There was just a, a general sense of unworthiness that left me feeling condemned before God. Has that ever happened to you? Has there ever been a time where you just, for some reason, you just feel utterly worthless before the Lord? Condemned, for sure, I'm not saved. But what if I told you that that was never from God? Never. Not, not, not usually from God, but never, ever, ever from God. Well, our first reaction might be to say, well, wait, 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 wait. And you've already talked about conviction. And we know the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, the judgment to come. So what about that? I would say that's absolutely right. But conviction and condemnation are not the same thing. In a lot of ways, condemnation is a satanic counterfeit of conviction. And if we're to hear God's voice and follow him in this, we, we have to be able to distinguish between the two. So let me just give you some differences, right? Conviction is from God, but condemnation is from Satan. Now, while conviction and condemnation may seem similar, they are very different. Conviction comes from God through the Holy Spirit and the Word and points to a way of change. Condemnation is from Satan, and it just makes you feel bad. Condemnation often comes in the form of vain regrets. Right? And a vain regret is something that you've done in the past that you can't undo. You ever have that? Did any of you have things in your past that are not good? Possibly you're ashamed of. And ever have days where those things come back and you think, oh, I'm horrible, worthless, oh, what a, how terrible, right? Guess what? That is not God. 
Right? That those sort of vain regrets are always, always Satan. Never from God. Condemnation is often just a very vague sense of inadequacy. In the book of Revelation, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. Who accuses Christians before God day and night. So one of the ways we can recognize a satanic condemnation and accusation is that it's often just a vague sense of inadequacy. You're worthless. You're no good. God could never really love you. You should forget trying to be a Christian. Condemnation beats you up and it puts you down. So if you ever have just a vague sense of inadequacy without it being anything specific, that's condemnation. And that comes from Satan. But conviction is always specific and always leads to change. Conviction is always very specific. God deals with what? Sin, righteousness, judgment to come. That's specific things, isn't it? But conviction, God deals with us about specific actions, attitudes, reactions, priorities, values, relationships that may need to be changed. And God not only deals with us about a specific issue, He specifically shows us how to change it. You need to repent of. You need to apologize to. You need to stop this. You need to start that. God deals with us in very specific ways. He shows us specific issues that need to be changed and specific ways that we need to change them. Condemnation is just very vague. Condemnation pushes us away from God. That general sense of unworthiness. Who am I to go before the Lord to pray? Who am I to read my Bible? Who am I to... I I can't go to church. I just... I'm not... I can't. When we feel condemned, we are certain God will never receive us and God will never forgive us. and God will never restore us and God would never really have a relationship with us. And that pushes us further and further away from God. Well, certainly... Anything that pushes me away from God cannot be from God, can it? But conviction brings us closer to God. The goal of conviction is always to bring us closer to God. It may be to restore our relationship with Him if we strayed, to strengthen our relationship with Him in an area of our life, to help us become more like Jesus. But whatever it is, when we surrender to God's conviction, we always end up closer to Him than we were before. Well, Satan's certainly not going to push us closer to God, so... It's bringing me closer to God. That is certainly God. If you have repented of your sins and believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, Scripture says you are free from condemnation forever. We're not condemned. There is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. So Jesus has ensured that we're not going to be condemned. Any feelings of condemnation that a believer in Jesus Christ experiences, that is not God. That is satanic oppression. And we have to recognize it as that. So if I think I'm hearing God, and all it does is make me feel bad and unworthy and worthless, I'm not hearing God. If someone comes to you with a message from God, and all it does is make you feel bad and worthless and unacceptable to God, that is not from God. Does it convict me or does it condemn me? Is it something Jesus would do? Jesus is the standard by which we measure everything. The goal of the Christian life is to be like Jesus. To value what Jesus valued. To act the way Jesus acted. To react the way Jesus reacted. To have the priorities Jesus had. To have the character that Jesus had. Therefore, God is never going to lead us to do anything that contradicts or would hinder us from reaching the goal of Christ-likeness. So that's one of the ways that we can examine it. Is this from God? Will it make me more like Jesus or less like Jesus? Is it something that Jesus would do? And when we talk about hearing God speak, particularly like through the Holy Spirit, It's not going to sound different. It's going to sound like our thoughts. We're going to hear it probably in in our voice. 
But what will be different is it will be the content. In a broad way, we can walk, go through these sort of thoughts that come into our mind. I should do this. I think God wants me to do this. I think God would say this is okay. We could run it through the, the grid of, well, who would want me to do this? Is this something that the world would want me to do? Is this something that the devil would want me to do? Is this something my sinful nature would want me to do? Or is this something that Jesus would do? Is this action like Jesus or like the world? Is this priority like Jesus or like the world? Is this attitude like Jesus or like the world? How I want to react to this stressor, is that how Jesus would react or how the world says to react? And if it's like the world, and if it's something that would come from our sinful nature, and if it's something consistent with the character and the nature of the devil, it's not God without fail. But if it is something that Jesus would do, it's consistent with his values, priorities, attitudes, actions, reactions, and character. You'd say it probably would be. Now, there are all kind of ways this could play out. Money, time, parenting, evangelism, something to say, something to do, a relationship to start, a relationship to stop. You name it, God could speak to us about it. And with each one, we can ask, where could this have originated? Who would want me to take this action? Who would not want me to take this action? And if it's consistent with the character, the values, priorities, attitudes, actions, and reactions of Jesus, we can be fairly confident that it is from God. And then finally on this one, do I have peace about this? And I don't like this point overall because peace can't be the end-all, be-all of knowing if something is God's will. Jonah is a great example of this. I know the story of Jonah. God says, hey, I got a message. Take it to Nineveh. Tell them to repent or they're going to be destroyed. So what does Jonah do? Get up and go to Nineveh? No. Well, he gets up and he goes in the opposite direction. And he gets on a boat and he sets sail. And what does he do? He goes down below deck and he peacefully goes to sleep. Sleeping so soundly that as the, the waves and the wind and the storm comes, it doesn't even bother him. Completely at peace. Completely out of God's will. So peace can't be the end-all, be-all of it all, right? We can deceive ourselves, and we can have peace about something that is clearly not God's will, that is clearly contrary to Scripture. And yet, there is an element of peace that should be there. Because Scripture does speak of peace in connection with following Jesus, so in some ways it, it must play a part so how do we reconcile it? Well, I would say in one way, if God is generally speaking to us, it's going to bring peace to our hearts if we follow it. Right? If we do it, if we do what God says, it'll be peace. Now, this peace doesn't mean we won't be afraid and it won't mean that we won't feel intimidated or overwhelmed. And it doesn't mean that there won't be conflict that arise from following the way God is leading. Instead, there'll be a peace about knowing that despite all of the turmoil, all of the conflicts, this is absolutely what I'm supposed to be doing. In our lives, when we determined to move to Guyman, and there are all kinds of things that went wrong in our lives. Sarah was a little bitty. She got some sort of projectile vomiting disease, and we spent the weekend at the hospital. When we came home from the hospital, we found out that our sewer line had ruptured and a big portion of it was going to have to be replaced. When we got our U-Haul, went to get our U-Haul trucks, we found one and we got it and we loaded all the U-Haul truck full and our house was still just filled with stuff. And there was not a U-Haul truck in Muskogee County. So we sat down and we just, we just had a, we had a complete and total breakdown. I mean, we sat on the inside of the U-Haul truck and cried, Kelly and I did. And after a little bit, Kelly said, do you, do you really think we're supposed to go to Guyman with all this going on? Now, all this stuff isn't scattered out over months. This is all like within a week or two. Do you really think we're supposed to go to Guyman with all this happening? I said, I do. She said, I do too. 
We didn't have peace as far as circumstances. Everything was all messed up. But we had peace about what God's will was. It was for us to come to Gaiman. And I think that's a, an idea of what the peace of God will be about the decision. Not peace that it's easy. Not peace that there's not conflict. But a peace that, man, what would Paul say in, in one place in Corinthians? That outside was opposition and in, inside was con- and turmoil. Right? Yep. Outside there's all kinds of stuff. Inside I'm all twisted up in knots. But I still know this is... This is God's will. So I have peace. that This is God's will. And that leads to the last question. How can I position myself to hear God? That's what we want. We can hear God. He will speak. We can test it to see if it is Him. But what do we do so that we can hear God's voice? We can hear God speak to us. Well, first, we just need to meet regularly with God. I mean, if we want to hear God speak, we have to meet with God. Which means, in part, we have to be in the Word. We have to be in the Word on our own. We have to be in places where the Word is being taught and preached. We, We have to be in the Word. If we are not regularly praying and studying and in the in God's community, hearing God's Word proclaimed with God's people, We ought not be surprised that we're not hearing from God. This ought to be a a priority in our lives. Let me ask you, just as as a human. What does it say to you if people don't, that say they want to hear your ideas, your thoughts, want to know what you, your, your advice They've always got a reason why they can't meet with you. And they've always got a reason why they can't talk to you. And when you talk, they overtalk you and never listen to what you have to say. Does that communicate value? That they value your advice, your input, your will, what you want? Or, or, or what if they, they come and as you're talking, they pull out their cell phone? Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> that's a funny meme. Oh, yeah, that's great. Right. Does that communicate value that they want to hear from you? But what if they say, you know what, you you tell me a time. I'll arrange my schedule around the time when you can meet so I can hear what you have to say about this issue. That's how important it is to me. Does that communicate value? I mean, if they do that, you're likely to to like study about whatever they've asked about, right? Do some Googling, do some searching, try to figure out, make sure you've got the information right. What does it say to God? Oh, God, speak, Lord. Oh, I ought to read my Bible today, but there's a new Netflix show on. Or I'm going to read my Bible. Oh, gosh, that's hysterical. Oh, sorry, God, I can't today. I've got all these other things. I've got other commitments. I just can't make time for you. We ought not expect God to speak if that's how we're going to live and act. If I want God to speak, I mean, He's God, right? I mean, it's not like... The, the greater is coming to the lesser. Speak on my terms, little one. No. The worm is going to God and saying, I want to hear you. So I'll arrange my whole life around this. I will make a priority to be in your word. I'll make a priority to, to hear teaching, to hear preaching. I, I will. I'll shut the world out so that I can hear you. So we ought to meet with God and, and make that a priority in our lives. Secondly, we ought to expect God to speak. We ought to expect God to speak. We should expect God to speak to us individually, for us to Him to speak to us personally, and for Him to speak to us regularly. Now, I think with this, there is an element in which it's a matter of faith. Jesus said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. So if I come to the Word... And I don't believe that God is going to speak to me. Can God still speak to me? Absolutely. Is it likely that he will? No. If I come to church and I expect that God is going to speak, he is very likely to speak. If I come to church and go, well, this preacher is going to ramble, then we're going to go home, go out to eat. Is God going to speak to me? Well, he can, for sure. He could do anything. He's God. But will he? Not likely. 
very likely we get what we expect. We get what we believe. Those through what's revealed in Scripture believe that God still speaks and expect and look for God to speak. Hear God speak far more often than those who do not. We ought to expect that our God will speak to us in a personal way in our lives. Through Scripture, through Spirit, through people, all the time. And then, do what God says. Not everything God says to us is going to be a get up and go do. Sometimes He does speak comfort to our troubled souls. Sometimes He does bring encouragement to our discouragement, healing to our brokenness. And those are truly wonderful times. But there are also very many times in which God says, you're wrong here. Do this instead. The way you acted toward that person was shameful. You go and apologize. Yes, you're mad and you want to lash out. And the world would say you have a right to but I'm telling you to turn the other cheek. Very often what God says is going to be a do. Do this. And if we want to hear God consistently, guess what we have to do? What God says. Not doing what God says, ignoring Him, hinders us. Again, just think about if someone comes to you. If they come to you for financial advice, And you give it and they do the opposite. And then they come back for more financial advice. How many times of that will you finally say, you're not going to listen anyway, so I'm not going to tell you. Eventually, we all would. God, I want to hear you speak to me. Here's how you need to live. Oh, no, no. No, I don't want you to tell me that. I want you to tell me how great I am. No. Our unwillingness to do what God says and shows it's always, always going to hinder us. There has to be a, again, He's God. And we're not. Creator, creation. Sovereign, subject. What He says we're meant to do. Not evaluate it, not say, oh God, I, I get what you're saying there, but the world's different now. Scott wouldn't understand if I were to go say that to him. I, no, I just don't think I can, God. Whew. What an arrogant attitude to just tell God no. And, and probably we would never just say, no, God, I'm not going to. But what we do is we just don't do it. And by not doing it, we're still just basically telling God no. We have to turn from that. We have to do what he says. There should be within all of us a priority commitment to do what God says, no matter what that would be. If it's God, again, we're not talking random crazies. If it's God, I will do it, no matter what that might be. When we come to Scripture and we come to life with that attitude, God is far more likely to speak to us than He is if we're just like, Whatever you say, I'm going to look at and make a decision. We have to be willing to do what God has said to do. Let's stay where you are. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.